Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome back to the program, everyone. And I trust that everyone here in the States had a marvelous Thanksgiving. Well, as it turns out, our Thanksgiving was a bit... Well, it was a bit of a nightmare. Nearly three feet of snow fell on Thanksgiving Day. And as a result, we lost power, internet, and even a majority of our cell phone functions for days. Now here we are, a week later, and we're finally dug out. But it's been an interesting week, to say the least. But the good news here is that I have a phenomenal episode lined up for you guys. We're going to explore a few things that I've never even touched on on the show. So why don't I stop teasing it and start talking about it. We kick things off tonight with Damien in the state of West Virginia. Hey, Derek, this is Damien from West Virginia back in, um, I would say it was probably around 92 in Boone County, West Virginia, an old family home of ours. I'd say we probably had five or six generations in that house. It was a very old home. Anyway, the last person I knew to live there was my great grandma. Well, my mom had taken it back over uh, in 92 and she was living and working in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. So the house was empty. She had just refurnished it. So I, being maybe 18, had just had my first uh, daughter. So I moved in with my girlfriend at the time and our daughter. And from the beginning, the place felt strange. It just always felt like you were being watched or odd noises. Not to mention it was a very old home. The one I want to tell you about, there's many, but this one in particular. One night I was sleeping and something woke me up and it was a little after three. I'll always remember that because to this day, after three scares me to when I wake up. There was like a, the only way I can explain it is if you feel a balloon with static, just the feeling of it, the whole room felt like that. The air felt like that like crackly. I'd go in the kitchen and get something to drink and I was half asleep. But I got to the doorway and the door goes straight in the living room. There's no door there. It's just a, a doorway. I get in the doorway and there's only one little light coming from the kitchen but it lights up in the living room. You can still see everything. Out of the corner of my eye, 
something, and I turn and look, and on what looks like our old buffet table is a coffin. I'm getting chill bumps now. In the coffin, I can see a face raised up that looks just like me. It freaked me out so bad, I instantly jumped back in the doorway of the bedroom, turned on the light, started hollering for my girlfriend at the time to wake up. Told her what happened, poked my head back around the corner, and there was nothing there. The static feeling was gone, everything was back to normal. It was that quick. Well, as time went on over the next few days, I told some family members about it. Well, my Aunt Teresa, who was the family genealogist or whatever that traces the family histories, she said, you've never seen pictures of your great-great-grandpa Shirley, have you? I said, no, which would have been, I guess, my great-grandma's dad. So she goes and gets an old picture, and he was the spitting image of me, except he had two moles on his forehead. They always called him his horns. Because she said I'd looked like him from the day I was born. She always thought I looked like him. And she said that this is the part that gets me. His funeral was at the house and the viewing. And they used to set the coffins up on the old buffet table by that back wall. Recently, that house, I went back years, probably five years ago, the house has been torn down. Unfortunately, uh, everybody, the whole family moved out of the holler and live at different places now. But I love your show. Been listening for a while, and I just wanted to call and share that story with you. West Virginia, we got quite a few of them. I'll probably call back. Thank you, Derek. Thank you, Damien. Listening to your story, I felt like a moviegoer that's just figured out who the murderer is. As soon as Damien mentioned the coffin, my mind went immediately to the home funerals of the 19th and early 20th centuries. You see, back in those days, the funeral and subsequent preparation of the body was done at home, typically in the kitchen. The coffin itself was displayed in the parlor, a room that folks of that time took a lot of pride in. When the funeral industry took root and funerals moved out of the home, people felt the need to stop referring to the nicest quarters as the quote-unquote parlor. It seems that it's gained a negative connotation. Instead, they went the opposite direction and began calling them living rooms. After all, it is the living that now enjoys them. Now, that might sound a little bit odd, but just be happy you didn't die, say, 50 years earlier than that. Madison wasn't what it is now, and to ensure that the dead really was dead, and not just someone in a coma. They would tie a string to the deceased's hand, then attach the other end to a bell that was hung topside. If the dead awoke and moved within the coffin, the bell would ring. Now, of course, there had to be someone there to hear that bell, so the family would sit in the cemetery in shifts, listening for that bell. That shift was later known as the graveyard shift. And if they did hear the bell ring, well, that was the indication of a dead ringer. And you guessed it. If they dug them out of the hole and they managed to survive, you could say they were saved by the bell. 
thank you again, Damien, for sharing this tale. Some of these old Victorian traditions are equal parts terrifying and fascinating. Now, our next entry is one of those strange stories that I was telling you about in the opening. A story I've never before covered on the program. Well, this call was submitted anonymously from the Hoosier State of Indiana. My story takes place in the summer of 2002 in Sherrillville, Indiana, around 10.30 p.m. or so. At the time, I worked at a regionally famous restaurant on the corner of an extremely busy intersection. I make this distinction because the parking lot around the building and the surrounding area is very well lit at all times. I didn't drive, so I would routinely wait behind the building for my ride. That night, while I was waiting for my mom, I noticed an old-looking school bus pulling into the far end of the parking lot. I thought it was a little late, and it didn't have its headlights on, but I didn't think much of it. I was fidgeting with my phone, and when I looked up at the school bus, it was about 20 feet from me. I was a little startled because I didn't hear it pull up to me and the parking lot seemed as though it had dimmed. There were no lights on the bus. I saw a silhouette of a driver and a tall man like a preacher stepped out. I immediately thought, please don't talk to me. The whole situation was just uneasy feeling. Of course, he walked up to me intensely and began to question me about my faith, really probing questions. He was very tall, wore all black, with a white collar and a wide circular brimmed hat that obscured his face above his mouth. After being thoroughly creeped out by him and his dark intensity, I heard a voice call my name. I looked over to see a friend that had gotten out of work earlier than me. I hadn't noticed until hearing his voice that the school bus was gone. I never heard or specifically saw it drive away. My friend was pulled up next to us and was asking if I needed a ride. So I apologized for cutting the preacher off, but he was clearly not happy with this. He said, if you were to die right this second, do you know where you'd go? This might seem like a normal tactic for some, but up until this point he was monotone and somber sounding. When he uttered that phrase it sounded like the most sinister thing I'd ever heard. My skin crawled up my spine. I hopped in the car and had my friend speed off. After exchanging our sides of the story, my buddy said that he had a nagging feeling he should come by work and offer me a ride. He didn't see the bus anywhere. When he pulled into the parking lot, I was just staring face to face with this eerie-looking preacher character, and the way the preacher asked his question was more scary than spiritual. Most people think my buddy and I have made the story up and are corroborating each other's story, but I couldn't even bear to call this in. Saying the words out loud gives me anxiety. I've done a little research on my own, but to no avail. Thanks for your time and everything you do. Love the podcast. Thank you, caller. And a big thank you to Warren Pon Abbott for lending his vocal talents on that call. Now this is one of those stories that can go either way. Was our caller simply spooked by a vagrant in a school bus? Or was his encounter something else altogether. Now we've heard many stories over the years of odd people doing and saying odd things, but this one just feels a little bit different. But I can't say that I'm happy that our caller's buddy arrived when he did. Perhaps he was about to meet his maker a little sooner than he expected. 
Thanks again for sharing that call. Now, our next call of the evening is a very important one for me. You may recall that over the past few weeks, I've been asking for stories from the Anza Borrego region of Southern California. Well, as my luck would have it, I received a few submissions based on this call to action. Calls like Mike's from here in California. Hi, Derek. This is Mike. Back between somewhere in 1976 and 79, I don't remember the, the year exactly, as during the summertime, we went on a job down in Borrego Springs. I worked for a utility company, the electrical part. We were down there, and uh, one of my the guys I was working with and his friend came down, and they used to like to do the Falcon thing. And then so we went out in this guy's VW bus with a sunroof in, and he'd pull the sunroof back, and we'd spotlight these rats and rabbits and whatever, and they'd send their hawks out the top of the car to go catch the varmints. And we were cruising down a dirt road. It was really rough one night. It must have been probably around 12 o'clock or later. And uh, I told I told him, hey, this is a Baja bug, isn't it? Go, go over there off the, off the, in that little wash there. It'll be a lot smoother. So we pulled over in the wash, and we went down the wash probably, oh, I don't know, just uh, maybe 10 seconds or so. And all of a sudden, this bright light looked like it lit up right behind us. Well, I was sitting in the back seat. The hawkers were in the front seat. And so I turned around to look where the light was coming from. I couldn't see anything back there. And so we uh, we looked around. The whole sky was lit up. I could see the mountains were um, where Sleeping Indian is and all that. It was lit up brighter than day. The whole desert was. And uh, it lasted just for a few seconds, if that, and got a uh, blue tint to it. and went out, and then it was dark again. There were some other people that were stuck in the sand shortly before where this occurred. I never did know where they went or couldn't hook up with them. So the next day, we asked everybody in town that we saw if they saw anything last night. Nobody seemed to see it. So what we did was I called uh, Palomar Observatory, talked to them about it, and they said, no, we didn't see anything, but there was lots of strange things happened down there. So I don't know what it was. And uh, that's like, basically the end of the story. Never had figured out what it was. So... If you can figure out that one, that'd be pretty cool. Thanks. Thank you, Mike. I truly appreciate you calling this one in. Now, I don't want to go too far into Anzabrego just yet. David Flora and I have a Kickstarter launching very soon that will cover a majority of those legends. But I did want to briefly mention all the strange activity that's been reported there. Haunted locations, spook lights, dogman luminescent humanoids, desert sasquatch, and of course, tons and tons of UFOs. So if you have a story from this region, or really any paranormal experience in general, give the hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Thank you again, Mike, for taking the time to share that one. Now, our next entry of the evening keeps us in the state of California. The following is Carson's call from the Golden State. Hey, Derek, what's going on? My name's Carson. I'm a big fan of the show. Anyhow, this this is something for your fringe file. This is a story 
pretty unlike anything I've heard on Monsters Among Us, and I'm not sure if it qualifies. It's more about supernatural phenomena than it is with an encounter with any kind of monster. What happened was, this was maybe 2004, I had just moved to Los Angeles, and I was working in an editing house uh, as a, like an assistant, like a coffee coffee getter type person, walking dogs, putting Pepsis in the fridge and the like. And there was another girl there whose name I won't say, we'll call her Amy. And uh, well, one night I have this really weird dream that Amy and I are on our way to a haunted house. We're in like an old-fashioned horse-drawn carriage. And her boyfriend's not there. Now, I'd never met her boyfriend, but I knew she had one. And I said to her, in the dream, I say, Amy, where's your boyfriend? And she goes, oh, I had to break up with him. And I said, why? And she goes, his arms were too short. And I thought that was the funniest thing. So the next day at work, we're out in front of everybody having lunch kind of in a common area. Uh, it's just your typical bright, sunny Los Angeles day. And I say to her, uh, hey, Amy, I had a really funny dream about you last night. She goes, oh, yeah, what was it? I said, you told me that you broke up with your boyfriend because his arms were too short. And she just went completely white. I mean, her jaw literally dropped. And she took me aside into this little supply closet we had. And she said to me, Carson, I've only told my mom. I feel so superficial. But when my boyfriend was asleep, I'd measure my arm against his. And mine was just so much longer. And it just made me so unattracted to him that I broke up with him. So... Anyhow, that, I guess, is a dream of clairvoyance or something like that. Uh, I've had many other dreams like this, but this one is the most interesting, I think, just because, you know, there's a witness of sorts. Anyhow, love your show. Keep it up. And uh, take her easy. Bye-bye. Thank you, Carson. Early last week, I found myself in a rare position. I had a little free time, so I decided I was going to watch some TV well, I stumbled upon a documentary on Amazon Prime called Third Eye Spies. Essentially, it's about the CIA's remote viewing program from the 70s and 80s. And featured heavy hitters such as Ingo Swan, Yuri Geller, and Russell Targ. If you found Carson's story even remotely interesting, I highly recommend checking out that documentary. I'll throw a link to it in tonight's show notes. Thank you again, Carson. I've heard of this sort of thing so many times, and truth be told, I've actually experienced it myself on more than one occasion. So thank you for sharing that story. Now before we move on, I have to ask you guys for a quick favor. Please take a quick moment to rate and review the show on whatever podcast app that you use. And I get this question a lot. What if the platform I use doesn't allow for reviews? Well, firstly, maybe reach out to that company's customer service and ask that they add that feature. Then do the next best thing. Share the show with a friend or relative that you think might enjoy it. Shoot them a text, an email, Facebook message, or just tap them on the shoulder and say, Hey, you want to hear some spooky stuff? It's that simple. And gestures like that go a long way to help spread the show's message. And you all know I appreciate it more than you'll ever know. 
And while you're on the net, be sure to find and follow us on all your favorite social media platforms. And while I'm asking for favors, don't forget to send in first responder and hometown legend calls. I'm not hearing much from my police and fire listeners. So what do you guys say we change that? And lastly, visit the shop to get yourself some merchandise. It's www.monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the shop tab. And head on over to patreon.com and hit up that $4 level to gain access to up to two extra episodes a week, plus tons of other bonus content. That's patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast. Now, as I was writing this episode, something strange happened. I stumbled upon three calls, practically in a row, that had one important element in common. To elaborate on this and to kick this trio off, we send it over to an anonymous caller. Here is that story. Hi, Derek. This actually just happened to me probably within an hour ago. Um, and immediately I wanted to call it in because nothing like this has ever happened to me before. It's just real short and sweet. In the morning, woke up, went to go feed my cat in the kitchen. And as I was turning around getting his food ready, right behind me in my kitchen, I hear a woman's voice go, hello. And it was so, it was so clear, but it also sounded like it was underwater, which I've heard can happen or how EVPs sound sometimes. Um, so I turned around and I checked my phone because I thought it was coming from my phone. It was that clear. It wasn't coming from my phone. I live alone. It wasn't outside. I live on the second floor. My walls are brick. I've heard, you know, my neighbors outside and it sounds completely different than what this sounded like. I've never had any sort of paranormal experience in my apartment. They were made, I think, in the late 70s or so pretty populated area. I'm not sure of any paranormal happenings in this area, but I just wanted to call and report that because I thought it was really interesting. That was probably the most clear disembodied voice I have ever heard. And now I'm just kind of, I guess, waiting to see if I hear any more and I'll call back. Thank you. Thank you, caller. She really went through my list of possible explanations and debunked each one of them. I thought for sure it would just be a neighbor through the wall. Well, the only other thing I can think of is an off-the-wall story I remember hearing about the late Lucille Ball. Now, apparently she had some dental work done way back in the 1940s during the Second World War. Well, after her fillings were installed, she began to hear voices, but not in her ears, and not in her head, but from her mouth. And get this, these voices were speaking Japanese. According to Ball's story, her new fillings enabled her to pick up radio waves, and it just so happened that the signal that she intercepted was those of Japanese spies. Again, according to Ball, the spy ring was captured because of her. Now, of course, I don't suggest that our callers' fillings were picking up radio signals. But it does make me wonder if something else in her home might be picking up on a wireless landline, perhaps from an older neighbor that might still use that technology. Listen, 
is a lot less crazy than Lucille Ball's story, which I should add is widely thought to be fabricated. Now despite that, there is record of at least one man that's picked up radio signals via shrapnel that's lodged in his head. So take all that for what it's worth. Thank you again, caller, for sharing. So our next entry in this series comes to us from Chloe in the state of Texas. This is Chloe calling from Texas. I'm calling to report a sighting I actually just had not five minutes ago. I'm in the car, so forgive me if I sound a little distracted or shaken up. I would pull over, but frankly, I really don't feel like stopping after what I saw just now. It's 10.48 p.m. Uh, the weather's pretty clear. It's a little foggy, actually. Oh, I just saw a deer. <laughs> so I'm driving on a country back road. I'm coming back from a, my, a friend's house. Um, sorry, I'm trying to collect my thoughts here. So I'm on a back road. I'm coming home from a friend's house, but I wasn't quite ready to go home yet. So I'm just kind of cruising back roads because that's what you do in a small town. There's not a lot to do out here. So we cruise when we're bored. And um, as I'm coming down the road, it's a very familiar road. I've driven it thousands of times. I'm coming around the corner, and uh, I think I'm seeing something reflective. And then I realize it's where the speed limit sign is, but the sign's mostly obscured. And I can't, my eyes can't quite figure out what's going on. And then whatever was standing in front of the sign as my car came up over the hill and my headlights shone on it, it just stepped off the road and into the bushes. It was tall. It was black. I couldn't really tell you what the texture of it was because I saw it for maybe two seconds altogether. I can tell you that that speed limit sign in particular towers over my head now, given I'm five zero, but this thing's head was well above the top of the speed limit sign and the top of that speed limit sign is maybe seven feet. So I don't know. I'm in a moving car, so I don't want to exaggerate size here, but it was definitely over six feet. I would say less than eight. Um, That was so weird. Um, Yeah, I will try to gather my thoughts. And if I remember any more details, I'll call back, but that just happened and um wow i've never seen something from my car before so that's a first but my brother has seen some things on the side of the road out here that he can't explain so i guess that's that um great show hope you can use this call and uh i'll be calling back sometime thanks derek thanks chloe Now, something I often think about with these roadside encounters is why doesn't the witness turn around and go back? You know, to get a better look. That's when Chloe did something unexpected. She called back. Hey, this is Chloe calling back. So just a little update. I circled back. I made another loop to go back around and look just to make sure that maybe there wasn't like a weird bush or a tree or something, or maybe like a fence post, maybe obscuring the speed limit sign that when my lights reflected off of it, it looked like a figure. And it was not the same this time. 
I mean, there are trees around it, but they're clearly trees. It wasn't what I saw the first time. So, I don't know. I mean, it could be somebody in a suit out here messing with people, I guess. Which, I really don't think that's the case. Again, it's almost 11 p.m. We're out here. It's pretty rural. This is an area where everybody has a gun. And they tend to vehemently defend their land and livelihood. So... Uh, dressing up in a costume and trying to scare the bejesus out of motorists is not something that kids typically do out here. Um, not since I've lived out here. I've grown up here my whole life. What I can tell you is that around that speed limit sign, there's a brand new housing development going in. You know, that area has been farmland for the past hundred years, and uh, the man finally sold it. And uh, big new four-bedroom houses are going in there. So I don't know. Maybe something hasn't run off its land. Maybe the land is haunted. I've got like goosebumps all over. These roads are so dark, so I better let you go and uh, try to make it home safe. But take it easy, Derek. Uh, let me know what you think. Thanks again, Chloe, for following up. Now let's break it down. Speed limit and all signs, from what I gather, must be hung at a standard height of seven feet. So for a creature to obscure the sign, it's got to be sizable. Now here's the weird thing, though. There really aren't any animals in the state of Texas that reach those heights. But given Chloe's area code, I can narrow it down and say that she's smack dab between the Bigfoot hotspot of Oklahoma and East Texas's Big Thicket, another purported hotspot. So hey, what do you know? Maybe these things are simply migrating back and forth thank you again Chloe for making Monsters Among Us your first thought hopefully you get to see it again but again from the safety of your vehicle so I'm sure by now you have uncovered the common thread here but just in case you haven't here is one more clue a clue from Savannah in the state of Kentucky Hey there, this is Savannah from Eastern Kentucky. I'm on my way home from work right now. It's 5.50 a.m. in the morning on uh, the 31st of August. And something really strange just happened to me. I've never had this happen to me before. It's dark outside, obviously. It's early in the morning and uh, it's kind of foggy. And I was driving on a piece of road that uh, I'm really used to driving on. And I stopped because... I'm driving slow anyway because, you know, it's foggy and there's wildlife all over the road. And I came across a deer in the middle of the road and I dead stopped. You know how deer get whenever they get startled and they start to try to run on blacktop, you know, their their feet kind of um, come out from underneath them, almost like they're newborn. And this deer wasn't very old to begin with, but it tried to make its way off the road. And as it jumped off the road... I kind of turned my head because I was kind of focused, you know, on driving and getting home. And it jumped into the bushes and it was almost like something caught it and threw it back onto the road. And it landed on its side and kind of, you know, its feet kind of went up in the air. I know that it didn't slip. I saw it jump into the bushes and I turned my head after I saw it jump. And then it somehow got back onto the road on its side and I didn't see anything throw it, but I saw the deer move like it was thrown. 
it landed on its side on the road, kicked its feet up in the air, and stood back up and jumped off in a different direction. As you can probably tell from my voice, I'm a little shaken up. Never seen anything like that happen before. A little freaked out right now. I'm an avid listener of podcasts. I listen on my way to work. And I, I listened back when I worked in a factory, and we were allowed to listen to something all day while we worked. Just wanted to call and give my submission. Thanks. Thank you, Savannah. I thought it was interesting that I found three calls almost in a row that told of an experience that just happened. What are the chances of that? Truth be told, I can only think of maybe half a dozen examples of this over the three-year run of the show. So to have three calls practically in a row, now I'm saying three out of five calls, it's substantial. Probably doesn't mean anything, but it's substantial. Now as for Savannah's sighting, I wonder if the deer misjudged a hole through a woven wire fence and was catapulted back. Now I grew up installing and tearing these things down, clearing brush from them. You know, I'm familiar with woven wire fences, but I'm not sure a fence like that could have the tension to propel a deer backward. But what else could do it? I don't know. This one has to be completely stumped. But I appreciate you calling it in, Savannah. And like the other two, thank you for making us your first thought. Now our next installment for the evening is a story I've been waiting on for quite some time. The following is Larry's Call out of the state of Pennsylvania. Hi Derek. Thank you for taking my call. My name is Larry and I am from Pennsylvania. I had an interesting encounter that I wanted to share with you, so here's my story. This happened in South Central Pennsylvania, in a rural area. I was about 15 years old, so it would have been around 1967, 68, around that time. It was around the end of the summer, maybe early fall. School was back in session, but it it was still warm out. It was a Friday evening after school, and I wanted to go to my buddy's house to play football. He lived about a quarter mile away on an old farmhouse, on an old farm back over the hill among a bunch of fence rows and fields. So I walked to his house. We played football and just hung out for a while. It was starting to get dark, so I was ready to head home. It wasn't exactly dark yet, but the sun had gone down. So it was that, you know, in-between time. I started to walk a quarter mile home. I was walking along a fence row, headed for an apple orchard that I was going to cut through as a shortcut to go home. So I was walking along this fence row next to a field when I saw something out of the corner of my eye. I looked in the field, which had high grass in it, maybe two feet high, and I saw something walking. It looked like a big black cat walking through the tall grass. It was black and I specifically remember seeing the tail. I stopped and stretched my neck to see it. And I remember saying to myself out loud, this is one big cat. It was about 75 yards away from me. I could see that half the body above the grass. So I would estimate that this thing was 
probably about three feet tall. So I was just looking at this thing, watching it, trying to get a good look at it, when it noticed me and saw me watching it. When it saw that I saw it, it just froze in place. It stopped dead in its tracks and just stared at me. We looked at each other like that for what was probably a few seconds, but felt like a long time. Then this thing stood up on its back two legs and took off running. It ran. It wasn't a hop. It wasn't a leap or anything like that. It was a true run. It ran like, like I guess a person would run, moving its front legs in the same way a person uses their arms when they run. I watched it run for about 25 yards until it went into the woods where the field ended. I just stood there for a few seconds after I lost sight of it, trying to figure out what it could have been. I knew it wasn't a bear because I specifically remember the long tail. It looked just like a really big cat. It was thin, it had the body shape of a cat and the tail. Everything looked cat-like. So after this thing went into the woods and I lost sight of it, I continued on my walk home. It felt like a much longer walk than usual. Since every sound I heard, I was looking over my shoulder and wondering if I would see it again. I never did. When I saw my friend the next day, I told him about what I saw and asked him if he had ever seen anything like that near his house. He said he hasn't seen anything like that. We walked back to the spot where I had seen it and looked for any kind of evidence, footprints, a trail, anything, but we couldn't find anything. It's been many years now since this happened, and I can still picture this thing perfectly in my mind, the way it stopped dead in its tracks to look at me, the way it ran in that human-like way. I have no idea what it was, but I know I'll never forget it. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Larry. I've been waiting on a story like this because I'm infatuated with the alien big cat phenomenon ever since my sighting as a kid. And one of my favorite cryptids is actually the Dogman. So naturally, a feline version of this monster was the next logical step for me. But perhaps to no one's surprise, I didn't seem to find much information about werecats or catman or whatever it is you want to call this thing. And before someone suggests Skinwalker, I should point out that this story took place in PA, far from the home of the Skinwalker legends in the desert southwest. So even if that legend did describe a creature like this, the locations simply don't add up. But while I was researching, trying to make some sort of connection, I was reminded of another half-man, half-animal creature, Alaska's Kushtaka, or, as it's often known in English-speaking communities, the Otter Man. In 1987, a writer set out to document the strange history of an Alaskan legend, the Kushtaka, also known as the Otter Man. This half-man, half-otter creature of Tlingit lore is reputed to steal people's souls, and it has been blamed for two famous incidents near Thomas Bay. The first 
was a massive landslide in 1750 that wiped out a village of 500 people. The writer visited the site as part of his research. He then hiked inland along a river valley to the location of an incident from 1900. A prospector searching for a vein of gold claimed to have been run off by a massive otter-like beast. The writer found the spot, but would make it no further. He vanished, leaving behind his campsite and a brief journal of his adventure. Could his search for the Kushtika have proven successful? The writer hasn't been seen since. That clip comes courtesy of Missing in Alaska, a series by the Travel Channel. Of course, I'm not proposing that a Kushtika made its way to Pennsylvania. But if legends can persist about this creature, then why can't they persist about a creature like the Catman? Thank you again, Larry, for sharing this beauty of a call. And that brings us to our final call of the evening. And since we have Alaska on the brain, so I thought we'd close things out with an anonymous submission from the last frontier of Alaska. Hi, Derek. I live in Homer, Alaska, which is in south-central Alaska on the waterfront. My work takes me about seven miles across the bay from Homer. This story occurred in February of 2019 this year, and it has touched me all these months. I've done my research, and uh, I found your podcast. I started listening to it voraciously, hoping that I would hear something remotely close to what I experienced. I have not. So, here we go. February in Alaska on the coast. It was uh, in the 20-degree range, Fahrenheit. Um, About four inches of snow. I was camping there. My wife and I recently bought this piece of property. It's remote. There are no roads. There are no towns. There are no neighbors. So I was camping there in my tent, clearing the property, because it's a great time to not start fires that you don't want to start. So I was spending all day with my chainsaw and my loppers, cutting down willows and spruce and burning and burning and burning. And then in the evening, going to bed in my tent and the fire would be out about uh, morning time and I'd start again. So on this particular weekend, the coyotes were sick. I was working and I could hear coyotes all around me starting at about 4 p.m. Now, mind you, February in Alaska, it gets dark about 4.35 p.m. So the coyotes were thick. I could hear them. It was kind of creepy, but not super creepy. I was armed, prepared to defend myself, but uh, I didn't think I'd have to. Finished my day burning and uh, had dinner and got into my tent and uh, settled in for the night. At some point, I don't know what time it was, but it was blackout. I heard the coyotes, they woke me up, howling all around me. 
close, really close, within the, within the 100 yards that you don't want them to be. Um, three or four or five of them, I'm not sure. And I listened to them. Um, I, was, I was concerned. It was just me. Uh, there's no place to go. Um, whatever. And then all of a sudden what I heard was that sound of a dog getting hit. Whether it's hit by a car, whether it's kicked by the mailman, whatever, you know, that, that sound. And it was brutal and it was large and long. And then it ended. I laid in my tent and listened. Two minutes later, I heard feet. It was uh, two feet. It was not four feet. I know because I was hyper aware at this point. It was uh, a humanoid walking step, and it was slow. It was not running. It got close enough to where I would guess it was within 20 yards of my tent, and it stopped. It either smelled me or saw me is what I'm thinking, and it stood there. A couple of minutes later, it turned and left. Because there was a couple of inches of snow that was crusty and hard, if you've ever been in that sort of area, you know that sound of crunch, crunch, crunch. You can tell two feet. You can tell four feet. You can tell the speed at which something walks or runs. Crunch, crunch, crunch. That's what I heard. It stood, it paused, and it walked away from me. In the morning, as soon as it turned light, which was, you know, nine o'clock, I, I did see footprints. They were not footprints like you and I would leave a footprint in the snow. But again, bear in mind, it was old snow. It was old, crusty snow. What was left looked more like uh, if you were wearing a, a leather-soled booty or something. You know, it was a, a foot-shaped thing. But there were no toes visible or anything like that. And uh, I looked around, and what I saw was uh, blood drops. It started from a distance away, my property, along with uh, footprints heading directly toward my tent. So what I perceived it to be was a humanoid, two feet, walking with a fairly long gait, not, not extremely long, but uh, that of a large man or woman carrying what I believe to be was an injured or dead coyote based on the blood drops. And when it got to be about, uh, I don't know, 60 feet from where my tent was, it paused. The blood pool was large there. It waited. It turned to the south, or left, as it were, and uh, walked up through the alders, blood drops along the way. So, that's what happened. I didn't say anything, because I don't want my wife freaking out about, uh, well, what the hell was it on our property? So I told a friend of mine at work, and he literally pushed me out of the way and got on my computer and Googled Portlock, Alaska, Bigfoot. And up came stories of Bigfoot 
in Fort Locke, Alaska. Now, by as the crow flies, that's maybe 40 miles from where from where my story is. It's very close. So I read the stories of the Bigfoot in Fort Locke, Alaska, and was frankly shocked that this had occurred uh, in the century. The point, whatever. I uh, there is nobody around here, and if there were. I would know by their boat. You can only access this, access this location by boat. You can't walk to it unless you're walking serious overland. If you flew to it, you would have to land on the water. So there was no normal humans there. Whatever was there walked on two legs had killed and was carrying a coyote, I presume. And it really makes me wonder. Thanks for the podcast. I have listened to every episode in only six months, and uh, I love it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, caller. Suddenly, that little tidbit about the Kushtika was a little more water. The descriptions of the Otter Man certainly give it the ability to perform the actions our caller described experiencing. And the size of that thing certainly makes it capable of taking down a 30 or 40 pound coyote. But then again, Sasquatch also fits that bill. And I don't have to tell you that Alaska is another big Sasquatch hotspot. But what about that town that our caller mentioned? Port Lock, Alaska. If you've never heard of this place, you need to hang on to your hat. The small town of Portlock, Alaska, became a ghost town overnight. Residents claimed to have been hunted by a large hairy creature that walked on two legs. Horrifying tales and eyewitness accounts have been told since the area's discovery in 1787. Since then, the sightings have increased. In the 1930s and 40s, a large number of people living in Portlock began disappearing. Some of the bodies were discovered in the nearby lagoon, mutilated beyond recognition. The rain had washed the bodies down the mountains. The creature was becoming more territorial and hostile. Residents claimed that the thing would just stand at the tree line and watch everyone. By 1949, the people in the small town of Portlock, Alaska had had enough. Carrying only a few small items and the clothes on their backs, the community left Portlock and never returned. To this day, Portlock natives tell stories of giant murderous predators and of a beautiful town now haunted by a dark past. That clip comes courtesy of Journey Through the Darkness on YouTube. The video actually features several tantalizing mysteries from the state of Alaska. So if the Portlock story interests you, I suggest watching the video in its entirety. Thank you again, caller, for taking the time to share that story and certainly have no idea what you encountered that day. But I'm sure glad that you decided to share that story with us. That's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Warren Ponavit, Addie Lloyd, and Tony Bell. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And that terrifying music you're hearing... That's co.ag. So thank you guys for listening, and until next week.
so it seems like I've done nothing but talk this entire episode. So tonight's bonus story is going to be a telephone call. The following comes to us from James in the state of Virginia. Hello, Derek. Um, my name is James, and I'm from the state of Virginia. And I just wanted to call to talk about something that I experienced when I was really young. I was probably back in 19, early 1990s, near the um, Lynchburg area of Virginia. I, when I was young, I used to see, I guess, what you guys would call... That's what shadow people, sometimes shadow people, but more like just big like blobs of darkness. And the weird part was when they, when most people describe these things, they describe them like at night. Sometimes I would see them during the day. Like I would be walking around in the woods because I used to spend a lot of time down in the woods when I was a child. And I would just, see, like, out of the corner of my eye, just big black forms, like, come over a hill or come over a tree or something like that. Sometimes they were just shapeless, like blobs, and sometimes they did take the shape of sort of human-esque forms, and I could never look directly at them. It was always near the corner of my eye, but they, it was definitely something there when, and then when I would turn it would gradually dissipate, not just all at once disappear, but just gradually dissipate away. And this went on um, until I became a teenager for the most part, but yeah. Um, I just wanted to call in and share that little short story with you. Um, thank you for all you do, and it's really entertaining listening to you. I may call again because other weird things have happened in my life, so I'll see you. I'll call in some other time. Bye. Thank you, James. Now, coincidentally, on the latest Patreon episode, I actually spoke about a story similar to this one, and the theory toward that call was that perhaps there was some sort of eye disorder at play, causing a woman to see orbs uh, when other people simply could not see them. Now, it may just be that James suffered the same situation. It's possible that he had some sort of temporary eye disorder that caused him to see shapes from his peripheral vision. Now, as I say almost on every episode anymore, I am not a doctor, so I certainly cannot diagnose anyone, but I do feel like it's probably worth at least looking into. Thank you again, James, for submitting that call, and thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. Have a great night.